The future belongs to those who control the culture, and the culture belongs to those who control the conversation. So we are having the conversations you wish you could have at church to build a safe and vibrant community. This is the Oz Table Talk podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Oz Table Talk. My name is Luke and I'm here at the table, the virtual table, with Dave and Ben. Hey guys. Hey. You know? Hey. So, uh, today, this is actually, actually kind of funny, right? Because we, how many times have we tried to record this episode now? Oh, a good couple. Yeah, I was going to say at least probably two or three th- times. I was going to say probably three. <laughs> three times. Um, either something else comes up, or last time we even tried to start. We started recording this episode, <laughs> and we found something else that was more interesting, and so we chased that rabbit instead, like midstream. <laughs> so, so here you are at the table talking about something less interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, it's fun. So I mean, this is supposed to be a no agenda episode. So I guess you could say the last one really was no agenda. But anyway. <laughs> Before we get to the actual message, or the actual message, the actual discussion, Bible study, let's let's stop and we'll have our uh, Humans of Adventism discussion starter questions. So, Dave, you got that question there? Yes. Yep. Uh, today's question is, what's something that's missing from the church experience? Mm. So, as we were just sort of relating before we started recording, it's not our church experience uh, singular, it's, it's actually the church experience as a whole. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, what's missing, guys? There's a couple of things that stick out to me. Uh, It's hard to pick one. I'm going to pick one, not necessarily because it's the most important, but perhaps because it's less talked about. So, uh, I guess Mm -hmm. I'm more more playing that it's something that should be spoken about more. And I think that is... I think that's accountability or expectation. Mm -hmm. I think that we have created, in a lot of places, we have created a consumer culture around church. And mm. I think making it, uh, setting expectations for its members uh, is lacking. You know, we just want people to stay. I don't care if you all you do is come and sit in a pew and then go home and then live whatever kind of life you like, but just stay because I want more membership. You know, I want more people coming to church. When in, you know, first century church, when you had people coming and becoming Christians, it wasn't socially acceptable. As a matter of fact, it could get you killed. And so the only people that were joining were the people who were serious about it. And I think that is a quality that's missing because it is so socially acceptable. And so we lower the bar to the degree where we're just happy to have a warm body in the church. So Mm -hmm. I think if we were to elevate that expectation, we would see rather dramatic differences that we don't currently see. Mm -hmm. Interesting. What about you guys? Ben, you're looking like you're staring at a blank page. What's going on, bro? I was just thinking about the... We actually um, brought a little bit of this up on the previous episode we recorded. Remember how we were talking about social connection? Oh, yep. And, yeah, it it really came back to mind when we um, we were talking about this question because, yeah, it's... If we had that deeper social connections with everyone, I think it would be a very different experience for everyone. I think our churches would seem friendlier. It would people would be wanting to get more involved because mm. if you've got that that friendship connection, getting involved is a, it's a lot easier. It's a smoother progression and it's more enjoyable. Mm. Mm. So when you say deeper social connection, what what exactly do you mean? Like, can you give me an example of an experience or a situation you think would would bring that sort of deeper social connection? I th- I think it re- it's all centered around interactions outside of church. Right. I mean, yeah, you know, we we go to church, we go to luncheons and everything. We do a certain level of in- interaction, but it's it's not the same sort of interaction when you go to somebody's house, you enjoy a meal together, or you go and do some meaningful activity outside of church as well. It creates a much deeper connection which then when you come back to church enhances that church experience that we all have. Mm. So, um, if I can maybe just add a little bit of, uh, I don't know, just perspective to what you're saying just then, when you say outside mm-hmm. of the church, I'm actually assuming you're probably meaning outside of the program. Is that fair yeah. to say? Yeah. yeah, outside of the program, just mm. not something that the church itself is running, just things yeah. that individuals have pulled other people together to do. I mean, 
for example, table talk. But another thing I was thinking about is um, the squash group we used to have. We used to go and play squash together, and I felt it created a deeper connection with those people we went and played squash with. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be a church-related thing. It can be just something you enjoy and somebody else from church enjoys. Yeah, because what what you're saying is basically taking it from uh, sort of like a, a almost a political interaction to mm-hmm. a, a community, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. We should be a community. I mean, we call ourselves a church community, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> and as we were talking about last episode, it was a case of COVID has kind of shown the, the cracks. Hmm. Actually, no, that was actually two episodes ago, and then I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, that that was the, the, the one that was, um, yeah, a couple of episodes ago. But yeah, it was a case of COVID has shown the, the cracks in our communities, and because we've been shown it, we can do better. Yes. Because we all, it, it, it's, it's not something we realized before, and now that we realize it, we can, we can more consciously do something about it. Yeah, hmm. I agree. Yeah, I love both of the things you guys have just talked about. Like, there's several things that come to mind when I hear that question. Like, one of them is joy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's definitely missing from the church experience. Um, passion is another one. You mm. know, uh, I don't see that a lot in church, unfortunately. But I think the big one that, you know, you're probably all thinking, but nobody's saying it because it's too obvious, for me, is mentorship. Ah, oh, yes, yes. You know, like this has been mm-hmm. missing from the church for generations, you know, and it's mm-hmm. probably why there's no expectation. And it's probably why there's not deeper connection outside of the program, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because we, we don't have this culture of authentic m- mentorship for, for this idea of like like building, not not only, you know, this idea of building the next generation, but just building a solid platform for, for doing ministry. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think we, we sometimes... We look at our, our church very individualistically, like like it, what's my work to do for the church? Mm-hmm. But the reality is when, whenever you read about the church in the New Testament, it's in the context of the spiritual gifts, uh, which mm-hmm. are to be cooperative, right? Mm. So mentorship needs to happen so that people's gifts can be maximized because we do church together, not alone. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that's one thing that, you know, I'm very passionate about uh, seeing us incorporate into the church experience. Um, but yeah, I would have to say that's probably like one of the biggest holes in in my mind from the church experience as a whole. But yeah, resonate deeply with everything you guys have said there. Expectation, huge. You know, like I was talking to somebody the other the other day about how little we expect from our kids, you know, in church. Mm-hmm. Even though they're the ones that have the energy to do something, uh, we sort of look at them as though, you know, all they're good, good for is doing what they're told. But no, they've got so much more potential than that. So having mm-hmm. expectation of that potential uh, would, you know, set the church alight. And we, if we did that for everybody, mm-hmm. man, so much. So, mm-hmm. yep. yep. Yeah. How many people just sit on a, you know, sit in the pews who are very capable but don't actually execute on those spiritual gifts? Yeah. You know, and if the entire church was actually living that out, it would be a very different place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But think of what they're also missing out on by just sitting around. I mean, yeah. when you get involved, it's it's it builds up that community, and also you feel much greater connection to your um, the church community as well. So, mm-hmm. I think by just warming a pew, I think the individual would be missing out as well. Mm-hmm. We all want to be needed, right? Mm. Yeah. We all we all need a certain sense of purpose in life, and church can play a part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's, I think that is one of the things. You know, if people aren't aren't involved, even if they're choosing not to be involved themselves, I think if they aren't involved, it's very it has a really negative effect on their long term spiritual health. Because ultimately, how easy is it to leave a church that doesn't need you? Yeah, you know, <laughs> exactly. Mm. No one will miss me, so I'm going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, with that said, I think uh, I think it's probably a good time for us to actually jump into the word and, and uh, crack open Mark. So, well, actually, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you had me there. I was about to yield the floor too. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think that uh, 
was probably a couple of months ago now, but I was reading in the book of Mark and I just came across this story and I thought, you know, there's probably more to that that we could explore because it's one of those stories that we don't talk about very often, uh, actually. So it's in Mark chapter 6 and verses 1 through 6. So I'll, I'll just read that and then I guess we can hash it out and see where we go. Mm-hmm. Mark chapter 6 verses 1 to 6. Then he, that is Jesus, went out from there and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is, is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, J- uh, sorry, James, Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are his sisters not here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country um, and among his own relatives and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages sorry, went about villages in a circuit teaching. Alright, so what what are some of the immediate things that jump out to you guys? How often in our own community, we aren't as embraced as we would be to other um, other communities. I mean, think about mm-hmm. what we're doing here in ATT and the, um, the kind of the, the difference from what people looking at us here, whereas with our home church, because they saw us grow up. They saw us um, <laughs> make silly, stupid mistakes when we were younger. They saw us... I mean... Are, are you not talking about the, the way anywhere... that none of our families actually listen to the podcast, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not too I, much, do they? <laughs> well, when I when I talk to like friends or family, I always and they're talking about the podcast. I always say to them that I don't expect you to listen because you know me and you hear me waffle on about this stuff all the time <laughs> mm-hmm. anyway. So I have no expectation of you actually listening. And uh, but I mean. Yeah, full credit where, where it's due. I actually do have some mem- family members who who listen. You know, my dad drives a lot, and so he does listen. And so occasionally, mm-hmm. I think, man, I really hope that I that he listens to the stuff where I actually said something that was smart. So. <laughs> uh, uh, that, that's most of the time, though, right, Ben? Yeah, yeah. Except when he's got his dad brain on. <laughs> we won't talk about that. Yeah, when I'm tired enough, nothing coming out of my mouth makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right though, Ben. Like, there's definitely that sense of, oh, we know you guys. You know, you're our mates, or you're our family, mm-hmm. or you know, mm-hmm. you're the, the, you know, guy that I remember who was like knee high to a grasshopper, and and now mm-hmm. you know you're not much different than that in my eyes. And so yeah, at home or in our hometown, sometimes we can be looked upon in that sort of way, that familiarity, you know, where it's just like, yeah, you know, you guys are just you guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, a little bit further afield from that, quite often, you know, you can almost have, like, not that this is the case for us, of course, but you can almost have, like, celebrity status, even though the people are back at home still think of you as, you know, the kid. Hmm. Well, I think for us, it's more of a case of they look on us where we are now, whereas those in our home church kind of, at times, look on us where we were five, ten years ago. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, it creates a bit of a discrepancy how um, how we're looked on because of that. Yeah, yeah. So um, Jesus, at this point, like this is this is early-ish, but but it's not really that early in his ministry, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's already done a lot of stuff. Mm. Like I was just thinking, like the first yeah. sentence is then when he went out from there and came to his own country. So you know he's been out from somewhere, and I just went back and looked at chapter five and. Chapter five is like he's healing demon possessed men and um, restoring somebody to life. <laughs> you know, like, so it's not like he's like a small town boy at this point, but then he comes back to Nazareth and, yep, he's a small town boy. <laughs> yeah. And it's a pretty major thing. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the last prophet to raise somebody from the dead was Elisha, wasn't it? I believe so. I'm going to give you that one, yeah. Yeah. So. That that's e- that's even a um, big thing amongst prophets. Yeah, hmm. and, and Jesus raised a number of people. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, it's it's a case you've got to go all the way back to Elisha in order to find that. And here they are um, looking at him, going, "Isn't he a 
the car. Oh, isn't he cute? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Isn't he supposed to be making a table or something? Yeah. <laughs> what I found actually interesting there, and I guess it, it, there's no surprise in it at all. It's just that when I read it, it was like, it actually doesn't say he's the carpenter's son. It says he's the carpenter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so this says that he, I mean, obviously he didn't start ministry until he was 30, but, you know, he spent a good number of years building their tables. You know, he had that familiar experience with them. They saw him as just that. They saw him as a chippy, you know? Yep. Mm -hmm. And if you're not in Australia, that is shorthand for carpenter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, true. Well, I mean, just just like to put a bit of context to this story, like imagine... Matt just recently started studying theology. Mm. Um, imagine if Matt went away for like five years. No, make it 10 years. He went away, he studied theology, came back as like a mature sort of seasoned pastor mm. um, and he came back to Bundy. Mm. Like, <laughs> wouldn't he get yeah. a similar reaction to this? Like, oh, Definitely. hi, Matt. How's, how's <laughs> life? You know, <laughs> no expectation whatsoever. And then, you know, let's pick on him because he's not here. He comes out with some deep philosophical seasoned mm. pastor sermon yep and you know the what would what would people in Bundaberg think of that like they would be mm-hmm. shocked wouldn't they yeah they'd be like what happened who are <laughs> yeah. you yeah, it would yeah. be and shocked what, have you done yeah. what did you do our, with that whippersnapper yeah mm. or our yeah. tradie where's the hydraulic fitter Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what happened to what happened to all of those you know, grenades of uh, you know <laughs> political incorrectness that you used to throw around? What happened? That's right. Uh, he, he's now he's no longer throwing them for someone else. He's picking up the pieces after they've been thrown now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but you know what yeah. I mean? Like Jesus, yes. Jesus comes back, and like to be fair, like he comes back, and like you said, Ben, the, the expectations of him are very small you know like he's expected mm-hmm. just to be the you know carpenter's son or as you're pointing out luke you know where's my table you know i ordered mm-hmm. it last week and mm-hmm. jesus comes back and there's like 12 guys following him and he's just brought somebody back from the dead yeah and then he gets up to speak and they're, they're shocked you know because it's it's wise mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it sort of doesn't make any sense <laughs> mm-hmm. it is interesting the placement of the of this story in the in the narrative in the narrative because like you say you know before and in chapter five you've got those large significant displays of power and then if you continue through chapter six immediately after this he sends out the 12 so he has trained them to the degree that they are ready for action mm. and, and mm-hmm. he, he sends he sends them out so you know this is uh you know this is a really interesting juncture that he goes back to his hometown and he gets that kind of treatment you know? yeah so if this is if they've if they've, they've been fully trained at this point how does this correlate to the other Gospels? Like, where are we in chronology? Because we know Mark, you know, is pretty brief. Yeah, yeah. Well, the at least in my Bible, it marks the parallel passages, Matthew chapter 13. 13, yeah. So, because so, I'm just wondering, like, is that instructive in itself, you know, that he's come back, you know, as soon as Matthew uh, Mark chapter 6 and his disciples are already ready to be sent out? Like, I mean, maybe we're doing something wrong here, guys. Yeah, so uh, you mean like training-wise? Yeah, as in like if, if Jesus' disciples are already ready to be sent out on their own, mm. how long has he actually been with them? Because it can't be that long if Mark's account is anything to go by because like he only picks them. We've got a couple of them are picked in chapter 1, right? Mm-hmm. And then 4 there. And then you've got Math- uh, Matthew in chapter 2 is picked. It says there's 12 of them in chapter 3. So, after chapter 3, you've got, like, I guess, you know, two two and a bit full chapters of Mark is, like, the training time you would expect. Hmm. So, you know what? Even, I'm just looking at, at the um, the parallel passage in Luke, and it actually appears in chapter 4. So, basically, there is the temptation in the wilderness in the beginning of chapter 4. Then it mm-hmm. says he begins his Galilean ministry. Um, from verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out throughout the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And so it talks about where he read the passage from Isaiah. Um, they obviously get cranky about that. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, they will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal thyself. Whatever you have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, assuredly, I say to you, 
No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows. there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years, six months, and there was a great famine throughout the land. But none of them... Uh, but sorry, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath. So he's actually having, sounds to be the same sort of uh, interaction with them. But chapter, sorry, verses 14 and 15 seem to encompass from Mark, seem to encompass all of his previous ministry because it was all in Galilee. So he has the, uh, he has his baptism, he has his um, wilderness experience, and then he goes and ministers in Galilee. All of that is kind of condensed in Luke into two verses, and then he's in Nazareth going through exactly what we just read in um, in Mark. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, anyway, I regardless of the exact part of it, I think the point that you're making is really accurate, and that is it's comparatively early in his ministry that he is entrusting his followers to go out and, and do ministry. Yeah, I'm just looking up like a chronological sequence of the Gospels just to see mm. if there's like a, a rough estimate of where this should actually fit. Mm-hmm. So we got, where was the calling of the Twelve? We've got the calling of the Twelve in Matthew 10, which correlates to Mark 3. Mm-hmm. And then the sending of the Twelve in, oh, wait, Matthew 9 and 10. So that's actually backwards. Okay, so that's uh, I don't know what's going on there, but you know Matthew's kind of all over the place there. But either way, there's seemingly you know we've got healing, the beatitudes, uh, sorry, sermon on the mount, beatitudes, woes, uh, loving your enemies. Oh, this is all sermon on the mount anyway. Sermon on the mount, mm-hmm. sermon on the mount. Guys, can't you just put it all under the one heading? Uh, mm-hmm. Healing centurion servant, healing the widow's son at Nain name john's imprisonment john's questions to jesus jesus words about john the woman with the anointment uh anointing at bethany the ministering women jesus teaches jesus relatives calming of the storm demoniac jairus's daughter and then rejected at nazareth so okay there's a quite a bit going on there mm-hmm. so it might be a little while yeah but what either would you way say about I, a third of the way through his ministry? Regardless, he he's only ministering for three years. Yeah. So that's that's still a condensed so timeline. Maybe a maximum of fully... 12 months? Yeah. yeah. I, I would estimate six to 12 months. Yeah. Because it, it takes a fair amount of time to go through Galilee. So it's like an intensive, to compare it to something like what we would see today, it's like an intensive Bible school, basically, mm. as far as time period goes. Yeah. And yeah. then on-the-job training after that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, that's more like it, what it looked like. It wasn't really intensive Bible school with Jesus. It was more like on-the-job training. Well, um, sorry, I, I, I used the wrong wrong word. What I mean is, like, they were being sent out, right? They were actually doing oh, the work. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Gotcha. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, sorry about that derailment. We were talking about the fact that... What, I can't even remember what you brought up before I derailed that conversation, Luke. <laughs> That's uh, fine. What Me were you saying? You were saying about him being a carpenter. Uh, was it? No, that was you, Ben, talking about him being comparable mm-hmm. to Elisha. So, what about what about if we do go back to that thought of us being uh, interacting with our families? Because right, not not everyone has a family of believers, mm-hmm. and you know, typically, how does that go when, you know, when one person in a family becomes a Christian and then the, you know, their spouse or, or parents or, or siblings don't, you know, how how does that, like, how, how does that relationship usually play out, at least from your experience or what you've seen? Well, I've got ex-Adventists in my family and usually not well. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it is very hard to hear truth that, you know, cuts against the grain from mm-hmm. people that are close to us, e- even though they're possibly the best ones to tell us. If we're not willing to hear it, we're least likely to listen to it from them. Mm. You know, like I know, and obviously this is a really minor I- example of this just for the sake of illustrating the point. But, uh, you know, when, when Sarah, when my wife was pregnant, 
there were a number of times where something would happen or she would feel a certain way or have a certain symptom. And, you know, based on, I'm, I'm, I'm not a pro, I'm not a medical professional. I don't play one on the internet. But when I listened to her, what she was saying, I'd say, oh, well, that's probably something simple. Don't worry about it. You know, just get some rest. You'll be fine, you know. Mm-hmm. And she she wouldn't listen to me. Like, you know, as, as far as she's considered, she's dying and she's going to Google it, right? <laughs> And <laughs> watch out, Google Doctor will tell you you got cancer. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I, I mean, obviously, I, I'm not, I'm not belittling Sarah. Like, she's obviously, you know, when something's going on in your body, and you know, you're having a baby, it's serious, and so you don't want to take tangents. And I get that, you know. Mm. But then we would go and have our next doctor's appointment or midwife appointment, and Sarah would say, "I've been feeling this way," and she'd say, "Oh, absolutely nothing. You know, you just had a bit of low blood pressure, and you know, you're, mm. you're fine. Just you know, have a rest, and you're fine. You know." As the husband, I'm like, me, like, pick me. I said that. I said that. Please, please remember I said that. You know, like, it didn't matter how many times that happened. If mm. she was experiencing something, you know, I'm not the authority because I'm the husband. Mm. And that's, and I, I I don't think Sarah's unique in that. I think that's pretty much universal across marriages, right? Where, you know, you're not going li- to, you know, of course you're not going to listen to your husband. <laughs> because, of course, he's going to be biased or whatever. He's not the professional in this scenario. And you know that's fine. I like I, I get that. But my point is, it's it's very easy to dismiss what people that are close to us are mm. saying if we are finding it difficult to believe ourselves. Yeah. And I think that when we when we see people that do that do meet Jesus and genuinely have that, that's what, I think why it is so hard for them to reach their families. And I think the alternate the alternate reason to that is that people often get very exuberant and they. Um, push their faith rather than share their faith. And mm. um, I think that can leave a, a bad impression on people. But, you know, a- as an example, I heard a, a pastor uh, who's, you know, a strong Adventist pastor, you know, been in the church, you know, strong Christian for years now. And his family is not, you know, his parents are not believers, even though he's tried. And he has now stopped trying. Not that he doesn't want to, but that he doesn't want to push them away. And mm. so he continually prays for some for God to send somebody else to do that teaching. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it takes a high degree of spiritual maturity to recognize that and be willing to say, Okay, you know, I, I'm just I'm gonna pray that God sends the right person because I, I've got two choices. I can either push them away completely until I no longer have that relationship with my family member, or I can love them and hope for an opportunity that they will give, that God will provide or that God will send somebody else. You know, and I think that does, I think that does take a fair degree of Christian maturity to make that decision. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I was just first. thinking about an example for what you were just talking about. Now, my cousin, mm. I don't think I could minister to him, minister to him properly, but it's a case of inviting him along to our interactions and although he hasn't accepted Adventism or Christianity in general, I think overall it's improved his life and potentially planted seeds that might germinate um, years down the track. Yeah. So sometimes, although you can't minister to somebody directly, sometimes you can at least create the situation that they can be ministered to in in a way. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, are you guys saying that the the reason why that phenomenon occurs is to do with, like, I guess, familiarity, taking somebody for granted because they're around all the time and they mm. have biases and those sorts of things? Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I and guess I it's it's also when we when we meet somebody new, I think we also pay a lot more attention as well. It's yeah. it's a case of we. When you meet somebody new, you you ask all the usual questions, but you you kind of take an interest in how they live their life. Yeah. And we as Christians do live a life that's quite different to um, those of, say, the atheist walk. And it kind of raises the questions of, well, do I want a piece of that? So each time that they're um, introduced to somebody new, it's it brings a questioning up, I think, for them. I think the other thing, the other way we can think about this, and you know, what you were saying, Dave, there just sort of triggered my thinking on this, is for those of us that grew up Christians, how easy is it for us to fall into Nazareth syndrome, mm. to take 
to take God for granted because mm-hmm. you grew up with him. You, you know, you grew up in, you know, the listening to Bible stories and you know, it, mm-hmm. it all becomes second nature to you. And because you know it all, it becomes white noise. Even though you may be a professed Christian, it still can, that still can happen. So, yes. What, what do you guys think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about it like that um, until you said it. I was thinking on, along a slightly different line, you know, that oftentimes we fall into Nazareth syndrome with our our own, you know, pastors and, and preachers and people that are teaching Sabbath schools and things like that. And then when a guest speaker comes along, like we're like, oh, wow, you know, like it's a <laughs> guest speaker. Um, yeah. And they might be saying the very thing that our pastor's been saying for 52 weeks of the year. Um <laughs> But because it's a guest speaker, all of a sudden we're excited and we're pumped for that information. And so there's like this complacency that goes on. And I think what you said is even more important than that, Luke, and that is Mm. that we have the same level of complacency toward God because like he's just always there for us. There's like no, I don't know, there's, there's nothing special about that interaction because we, we just have that expectation that, you know, that's, that's there all the time. Which is, you know, so sad to admit. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. The other thing is it, our hearts are often pulling us in the um, opposite direction. It, hmm. I mean, I don't think anyone going through the Christian experience can honestly say that their heart has always been drawn close to God in that direction. I mean, we have that tendency to want to wander a little bit. Hmm. And it's it's... I know for me, personally, it's been a it's at times a conscious effort to uh stay on that path and i'm i'm thankful because there's there's those days where you want to drift and you you consciously have to fight and it creates those days where it gets it gets easier yeah hmm. just thinking about that a little bit further what you were saying Luke um so jesus gets up to speak in the synagogue mm-hmm. and many mm-hmm. hearing him were astonished saying where did this man get these things and what is what wisdom is this which is you know given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands isn't that so like f- familiar like that that thought process you know like maybe one day you'll hear the bible or you know somebody sharing from the bible or you'll read the bible or you know something that you've just known for such a long time about god will be you know placed in the forefront of your mind through an experience or something and you're just like where has this truth been all of my life? You know, like this is this is the game changer, mm-hmm. and and God's like it's it's been right there in front of you, all of your life, you know, mm-hmm. just waiting for you to see it. <laughs> you know, it's like that 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 one thing that you're looking for in the fridge, and you're looking in every nook and cranny, and then you realize it's like plum in front of your face. Mm-hmm. I spend um, a lot of time doing that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> open the full fridge and say, oh, there's nothing to eat here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I, I can yeah, I can think of so many times in my life where that's been true, you know, that the most obvious truth and it's like finally I get it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, I wish I understood that so many years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, or experienced that that reality working in my life such a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah. but there's two elements there, right? So there's what what they were hearing, they were astonished by because it's like, where did he get these things? And then also mm-hmm. there's like, you know, the the works that he's performing with his hands, and and so there's a the, like these two elements, I guess you could say, to the way that in which God surprises us, you know, with yep. the the you, you could say the truth about him, the person he is, uh, etc. You know, like the character elements or the words that he, the words that he speaks over us, and then yeah, the, the works that he does for us. And I am so guilty of taking that for granted as well. I don't know about you guys. Mm. We live in a very, you know, wealthy country. And even though we're not wealthy individuals within our country, um, we we live a very luxurious lifestyle in comparison to most of the world. Mm. A- and I don't know about you, but I, I don't think about that every day. Mm. Do you? No. No. no, we take it for granted, right? You know, this mm. is something that it's just, it's happening for us every day. But, you know, it's it's like that with God, you know. There's things that He is doing for us every day that make us wealthy citizens, you know, mm. so- sons of the King. And we're just like, 
complaining about the smallest things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking before when you were talking, Dave, uh, that, you know, if you were to take a step back from things and try to interpret what we believe about God, try to interpret that through the lens of someone who didn't know there was a God, you know, like let's imagine, you know, somebody from another planet is looking into our situation. And, you know, theoretically, theologically, I should say, we believe that that is entirely true. There is someone out there, people out there doing that, but... If we are looking at what's going on from a, a, a outside perspective, we say, okay, here are these beings who are hopelessly lost. The God that made them, he has decided that he was going to save them by sacrificing himself and dying in their place. Then... For multiple generations, he continues to work with them and teach them and try to coax them into doing the greatest work they could ever do in co-laboring with him for to, to bring that, that salvation to others. And this God of the universe, who could be disinterested in some far-off corner, actually listens to each and every one of them. He has provided them, you know, each of them a hotline to heaven so they can talk to him at any time, at any way. He has, they have, sorry, they have his complete attention. And one day he's going to come back and, and collect them. And at most, you know, they're going to be living, you know, 80 to 100 years on this earth. And after that, the very next thing they know is going to be present, you know, being present with their creator for eternity. If you were to paint that picture for someone, wouldn't that look, wouldn't that be astonishing if you, they were to know that and then look at the way we treat God? Yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I was forward slapping myself the moment you started speaking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was doing that while I was talking. But I mean, it's just like, how do you? Yeah, you know, how do we keep that fresh? That's that's probably the good question. How do mm. we? How do we stop that from becoming? How do we stop God from becoming white noise? So maybe we should look at uh, look at the history books. You know, because as you were saying those things, I was thinking. You know, we, in you know, our proud ways, looked at the, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness with Moses and we're like, what a bunch of idiots. You know, like, who are these people? They have all these things being handed to them. They've mm. just been delivered from the most powerful nation in the world mm-hmm. and they're complaining about food. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, who are these people? And then, yeah, like you just said, that's us. That's exactly what we do. So, your question is, how, how do we break the cycle? Um, how could the Israelites have broken the cycle? Cycle, Because it's, it's probably easier to, to, to stand, you know, back from their story and evaluate it than it is to, to look at our own story and evaluate it. I think what the broken chain in ancient Israel was the, the reason for them becoming a nation. It was the whole, God is founding a nation to be an example and to be evangelist to all the nations around them. And ultimately, they failed in this task. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a good example for us um, because as spiritual Israel, we've kind, of, we've kind of gone and made the same mistakes, right? Yeah. And absolutely. so, and our, I guess our way out is exactly the same mission that they had was... We have to go. We should be going out and being mission-minded. We need to reach yeah. the people around us, and that is how we stop from being, and you know, the spiritual Israel of old, the uh, and making mm. the same mistakes they did. Because if you if you look at us as a, as a people, we have so much in common with them. Mm. So if we don't make that conscious effort, we're going to fall into the same traps they did. Yeah. So, if I'm understanding you rightly, Ben, what you're saying is, if we want to keep that consciousness fresh in our minds, we can't be passive. We must be mm-hmm. active participants. Yes, exactly. If we are actively participating with God and His work, then it will keep Him fresh in our hearts and minds. Yeah. I think that that mission orientation is... It, it gives us goals. It gives us something to strive for and... I think that 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 feeds into the human experience. I think that's the reason why God gave us this task of reaching our fellow human beings yeah. was 
it if it was easier to give it to the angels, he would have. But I think it was for our good that we were given this mission hmm. to understand, not only understand God, but to kind of cultivate that character within us as well. So just to put a bit of flesh around it, um, so, you know, Jesus says to us, go, make mm-hmm. disciples, right? Mm-hmm. That's his commission. Yeah. And we often feel like the dog, you know, when, when the dog's in trouble being told, you know, go, get out of here, you know, go and do something else. <laughs> You know, that's yeah. how we often feel when we, when we hear the Great Commission, right? It's like yeah. Jesus just wants us to be his slaves, right? Mm. So you've got the children of Israel. They are slaves. They're in Egypt. The Pharaoh's like, build bricks, build more bricks, do it faster. I'm going to kill your children as well. You know, this is mm. the situation they're in. And mm-hmm. they've been there long enough that that's all they know is slavery. Mm. So God delivers them from that. And then he, gives, he, he puts them in this system which is to, to beat the slavery out of them, basically, um, <laughs> by teaching them a new way to live, right? Mm-hmm. So this, this new way to live is supposed to create in them, you know, a, 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 an understanding of what it's like to live free, uh, mm. I think is a fair way to say it. But instead of seeing it that way, the children of Israel see themselves as slaves to a new master, right? <laughs> in a similar sense that we do when we hear the Great Commission and we think, oh, Jesus is just trying to put us to work. Um, mm. whereas what you're saying is that instead of seeing, you know, the, the idea of evangelism or of, you know, reaching outside of ourselves, that work you're saying is, is not actually a way of, um, you know, perpetuating the cycle of slavery, that Jesus mm. is just becoming our new slave master. Um, but that's actually the new way to live, just like in this, in the Israelite experience where God, mm-hmm. you know, created this whole, you know, really quite intricate system to teach mm. them how to be free yeah. and we are doing the same thing as they did by misinterpreting the system mm. Mm. Yes. so so instead of going into all the world making disciples getting fresh experiences every day of what it likes to live in an unprivileged way unlike our own right because that's what it would be like to be making disciples. You know, we're privileged with this worldview that you were just talking about, Luke, you know, where, you know, somebody that lives outside of, you know, our little bubble uh, is looking in and they're like, wow, who are these people? You know, why do they not appreciate what they've been given? Um, So that's our Mm -hmm. privilege. And then, you know, when we're reaching out to people who don't have that privilege, we are getting perspective of how good we have it. Mm -hmm. And so what you're saying, Ben, is if we are to, to keep fresh in our minds that perspective by constantly reaching out to those who are less fortunate than we are, that that will Mm. keep fresh in our minds, you know, this reality that we are, in fact, you know, sons of the King. We've been redeemed in this incredible way that you were spelling out for us before, Luke. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Mm. I love that. I mean, we shared this idea, Ben fleshed out an, an idea, and then... Dave, both you and I had a crack at it as well. And we have, I think, between the three of us, we expanded the idea considerably. And I, I just love the way all of that, all of that blossomed out of our understanding of, of God and our understanding mm-hmm. of Scripture and all came out of having a you know conversation without an agenda around the text. I, and I just think that's beautiful, really do. Mm. Hmm. and useful right like that is that's actionable if we want to be in a position where that's going to be our experience that's that's what we can go and do right we can mm-hmm. go and be active in that and i know i know for me like i haven't i mean i've i've always wanted to be active in in service to god and doing ministry that's that's not new but having kids has made me think about it a lot differently because mm. i want i want it to be normal for them and in order for it to be normal for them, they need to see it be normal for me. Mm. And I think that, I mean, I'm applying that to my kids, but I think if we all took a step back and looked at the influence that we bear on the people around us, if you're hanging out with a group of people where doing ministry and co-laboring with God is their normal, then all of a sudden it looks normal to you because that's what everyone around you is doing and so that's what you're going to start doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And we see this is how trends operate in the secular world, right? You know, one person starts wearing their hair a certain way, then their friends do it, then their friends do it, and before you know it, it's a worldwide trend like the mullet that we hope never comes back, you know? <laughs> <laughs> can, can I just ask about the elephant in the room? Go for it. 
In mm. verse 4, it says, Prophet not without honor except in his own country, among his own mm. relatives, and in his own house. I think, you know, one of the things that jumps out of, of that verse to me is the idea of not being accepted within your own congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if we're talking in a Christian context, for example. Uh, so what do we do? What do we do if that's our experience, you know? If Nazareth happens to, Nazareth happens to be our local church mm-hmm. and we're not appreciated, mm-hmm. we're not wanted, we're not needed in our own local church, what do we do? One of two things. If God, and it's all dependent on where God is leading. If God has opened a really clear path for you to do something different somewhere else, sure. If he hasn't, then I'm here to tell you that it's God's plan for you to love those people into submission. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, at least that's that's the way I, I look at that, and I've experienced both of those things, right? Because I mm-hmm. mean, um, in in one uh, you know church experience that I had at, at one point, not my current church, there was a uh, you know probably a lot of what we're just talking about right now in my in my experience with the church, and God closed doors on. Basically, I got to the place where um, there was no ministry availability for me, but I felt really convicted that in order for me to be free of that responsibility, I guess, I needed to I, I needed to connect with those people. I needed to show them love, and mm-hmm. uh, and we did. You know, we we stayed there. We we mended the bridges until everything was good again, so to speak. But then that enabled me to have that clear conscience to move on and mm-hmm. we moved on on great terms with that church and and that has been a, a blessing to go back and visit and all the rest but God opened up ministry opportunities where I am now and if I hadn't made that move this podcast would never be a thing or at least it wouldn't have me in it because I wouldn't no, be no no it would never be a thing no <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest <laughs> we'd have the conversations but not with the recording <laughs> yeah, the rest of the world wouldn't know about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so if I'm hearing you rightly, Luke, I think you're saying um, we have a responsibility to do, to consider the bigger picture. Yes. Um, you know, not just to run away just because we're not mm-hmm. accepted. Um, yes. Which is a, definitely a fair point. Yeah. The text goes on and gives us the other example that you said. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus says, well, th- he he could uh, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marvelled at their unbelief. And went about the villages in a circuit teaching. So, because Jesus was not able to do any mighty work in Nazareth because of this prejudice or this, you know, complacency mm-hmm. or whatever it happened to be within Nazareth toward him, he moved on. He went where he could do some mighty work. And I think mm-hmm. it's it's uh, important to mention that you know, like like you said, you know, you gave a great disclaimer as you're you know likely to do, um, <laughs> in that you said that. Obviously, God has to be leading if we're going to, you know, run away. You know, we don't mm-hmm. do the Jonah thing and just run away because the circumstances aren't what we want them to be, right? So, mm-hmm. let's make that clear. That's that's not what I'm saying. Uh, but what I'm saying is I think that sometimes we have to admit the fact that God has a special plan for our lives. He does. Every one of us. Everyone. He has a special plan for your life. Mm-hmm. However, sometimes that plan requires a nucleus of people around you. Am I right? Mm-hmm. And I think I think in churches, mm-hmm. you're never going to get traction. Maybe never is a strong word, but I'm going to use it anyway. Mm-hmm. I think you're you're very rarely going to get um, traction, or never going to get traction in a church situation with with an idea, a vision, a passion. You know, you're never going to be able to do this mighty work that Jesus is, you know, thinking he should have been doing in Nazareth, unless you have a small core group of people who have the same vision as you, or are willing mm. to support you in your your mission. If you're on your own, that's going to be extremely difficult, if not impossible. So, mm. if that's your situation, and you know for a fact God is calling you to a mighty work then my suggestion would be take Jesus' um, example here and, you know, in humility, consider the option of staying, but also in humility, consider the option of going where God mm-hmm. can use you. Yeah. Do you think that's a fair way of, of answering, taking into consideration your wonderful disclaimer? <laughs> I'll choose to ignore the barbs in that statement, but yes, I 100% agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I, I just want to, you know, re-emphasize the, the importance of that, you know, core group. You know, mm-hmm. table talk, you know, we just said it would never have happened without you, right? And that's because you're the glue that knits everything together in table talk. 
But the mm-hmm. reality is Table Talk would never have happened without us either. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, well, I mean, it wouldn't be Table Talk if you were on your own, right? I mean, unless yeah. you're talking to the table, <laughs> which would be kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I just can't see many people signing up for that particular kind of podcast. <laughs> there, there is probably a small group who would find that very fulfilling. <laughs> but yeah, you know, you get what I mean. Like, so we we do we we rely on a core group around us uh, for mm-hmm. doing anything you know significant. I think. Yes. And so in in the church context, even in a business context, you know, sometimes if you're you know employment, if you're the only person in your in, in organization where you work who has a certain mindset, and that mm-hmm. mindset is or the, their mindset that's different to yours is is an unhealthy place for you to work. Sometimes you need mm-hmm. to do what Jesus did and move on yeah. from there, recognizing mm-hmm. that you're not going to be able to do anything great for that company. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you went elsewhere, maybe you would be able to. So just as a life principle, I think having a, a small group of people around you who think similarly enough to you that you're able to empower each other is mm. very important. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Sipping lips. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I mean, we've been we've been going for quite a while on, on this one. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if you guys have anything specific, but I think there's I think we've squeezed a lot of juice out of those six verses. So, do you guys have anything specific that you want to share or, or draw some insight on before we wrap this one up? No, I th- I think we're in a good position. Yeah, I already zipped. Yeah, you're already zipped. You're done. That's all good. <laughs> oh, no, it was good. Great. It was good, guys. Thanks for yeah. the conversation. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're going to wrap that one there, guys. So, um, please, 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 if you heard this, you enjoyed it, I ask that you would right now shoot the link to somebody that you know and say, hey, I love you. Here is a great episode that you should listen to. So, I I know that there's a lot of stuff competing out there for our attention, but ultimately, we just really care about people having the conversations that matter. And if hopefully, if people hear us having conversations around scripture and just talking about the stuff that really matters that would inspire you guys to do the same and so Mm. if you share that with your friends hopefully you can create that ecosystem in your in your social circle so anyway we will leave that there we will catch you guys next week and god bless And that's the end of another episode. Just before I head off, I want to encourage you to go over to our page on Facebook and also our account on Instagram and follow us there because that is where we interact with our listeners and we would love for you to enter in and join the conversation. Also, while you're signing up, I would also recommend signing up to our mailing list on our website, oztabletalk.com.au. If you do that, you will receive our exclusive content because occasionally we do release exclusives and they only go out to our mailing list so i would strongly recommend you go and sign up for that if you have a few more minutes to be one of the most amazing listeners on the planet you can go over to itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review because reviews help us to grow and they help other people to find us so if you want to help us reach those goals please jump in and give us a review the final message that i'd like to leave you with is to let you know about our patreon account now Patreon is a way for creators to get paid for creating and ultimately what we do does cost money to get us hosted and have the services that we need to run the podcast and so if you'd like to help us do that jump over onto patreon.com slash oztabletalk and you can you can give anything from even a dollar a month upwards but at different levels there are different benefits different rewards that we want to give you just to say thank you for being an amazing supporter of ours if you can't afford that we would just gratefully accept your prayers because that is what our ministry runs on. And so with that, I will leave you to your day and thank you so much for listening to this episode. We look forward to seeing you guys next week.